This morning we'll be in 2 Chronicles chapter 25, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. 2 Chronicles 25. Tonight we're uh, having a joint worship time with the bridge at their church, and that's at 6 o'clock tonight, I believe. Is it? It's at 6. And uh, so you're welcome to join us for that um, if you want to come out for just a worship night with them. Um, so if th- that was sent out in the email, if you're not getting the emails or something happened, and um, since we switched the sites, maybe you're not getting them anymore, go ahead and go online and sign up for those, and that way you're kind of up to date on all the things that are happening here. I want to, we're doing our best to get the information out, but there's only so many ways and sometimes I forget. Um, And so that's a great way to make sure you get what you need to know for the week or for the month or whatever. So you can sign up online at Calvary Chapel uh, or ccmaryville.com. All right. Second Chronicles 25. Amaziah is going to be the new king of Judah. He's taking over. Uh, He's going to reign for 25 years or for 29 years, and he's 25 years old when he becomes the king. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. Um, and what that means is anytime the Bible documents that is, they, they meant well, they started well, but they didn't finish well, which is uh, very important. Um, that carries on into the New Testament as well. Um, starting well is one thing, you know, when I was a kid, I knew the Lord, but when I died, I didn't. That's not good. You need to end well. That's the most important part is to die with the Lord. And although he meant well and started off fine um, at the age of 25, maybe as you get older, 29 years later, you begin to become wise in your own eyes or in your own opinion. And you begin to listen to yourself as opposed to the Lord, which I, I believe is what happens here. He gets a little ambitious. He begins to do things that are not directed by God. Um, sometimes when we don't hear from God, we, we believe we have permission to do whatever we want. Stop me if I've you know, gone too far, Lord, is kind of our walk. And really have to be careful of not adopting that as a philosophy of walking in this world. It's important to pray about things. Some things you don't need to. I mean, I, I pray about more things than I probably need to, but I'd rather err on that side of things than to not ask when I should have. Um, and so it's important to maintain that constant prayer and openness to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you in everything. Um, because maybe he doesn't answer all the time. Maybe he doesn't give us direction for every step of the day. But if I'm open to him giving me direction at any step of the day, at least I'm listening for that. When he does, my ears are open and ready to hear from him. And I save myself a lot of headaches of my own you know, invention. So Amaziah at the age of 25 walks with the Lord. He's doing what's right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. It happened as soon as the kingdom was established for him, that he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king. However, he did not execute their children, but did as it is written in the law in the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded saying, the fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers. But a person shall die for his own sin. Very important. (laughs) Very important doctrine to hold on to, to understand. Um, In the day when you were the new king and you had a coup that had taken a place against your father, maybe you take out those guys and their kids and their grandkids just to make sure that you could sleep at night, not with one eye open waiting for one of these 
people to take vengeance. You know, you killed my father. You know, I, I will come and get you kind of thing. So they would wipe out the line, basically, of everybody that was alive associated with that family to prevent, you know, backlash from what you've done. Now, it wasn't wrong for him to kill the first group. They're the ones that killed his dad. That's, that's treason. And so he stepped up and did what the law commanded. But he also followed the law and saying, I'm not going to hold you responsible for what your dad's did. And that's uh, the, the scripture he's quoting um, is from Deuteronomy 24, 16. Now, we have something else for us as believers to take from this, I believe. Um, when the Lord uh, puts that in the law, there, there's a spiritual principle there. It's not just um, because your dad was a camel thief, it doesn't make you a camel thief. We want to make sure that that reputation of your you know, irresponsible or reckless father doesn't transfer over to you and you don't carry that name. You know how that is. I think in the Midwest, especially, I think in the coasts, you're so disconnected from most people. Most of the time, they don't, they don't associate a, a, a person with their name. They're, you're just new to them. They've never met you before. You could go to the same gas station for 20 years and never meet the same person again in California. You know, it's so populated. But around here, our last names kind of carry some weight at times. Oh, you're, you know, you're a Skidmore, you know, kind of. Sorry, Brian, I just threw you out there. You know, you're one of them. You know, you're a McKinney. Oh, the McKinneys. Haven't heard good things about them, you know, kind of thing. Well, that's not fair, you know. That's not fair. And so God makes sure that they know that. That's not appropriate. That's not right. Jeremiah, spiritually speaking, Jeremiah 31 um, says this, uh, verse 29, In those days they shall say no more. This is a prophet speaking to the nation of Israel. You're not going to say this anymore. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. It's not, it's not because my dad had a problem in that sin that I automatically have a problem with that sin. Um, God says, you're not going to say that anymore. Each person has a choice, has a decision to make. Um, you're not automatically pigeonholed into that category just because your family used to do those things or your dad or your mom or somebody. That's not you. You're different. Um, you can be different. And God's giving us permission to make choices, but also holds us accountable for our decisions. You can't pass that off on your relatives. Well, you know, they were, you know, that's just how they were, and that's how we are. We're Irish, you know, kind of thing, or whatever. No, that's no excuse. Um, you can't say that's your heritage, that you, you just automatically are that. Um, it's not fair. Ezekiel 18 Actually, it's the whole chapter, but I'll spare you me reading you the whole chapter. But if you have time or you want to, study that whole chapter on your own to understand the, the false teaching of generational curses that's out there. Um, that's a false teaching um, that some demon has to be cast out of you because the demon has attached itself to your family and therefore everybody just gets this demon if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and you're filled with the Spirit of God, there is no room for anybody else in there. He doesn't share. It's not a, a cohabitation. You are completely His. You're completely set free. 
Um, when you say that you have a generational curse or a, a demonic spirit that just attacks your family and is stuck on you, uh, and, and you've just a, acquired this for some reason, just because your last name happens to be the same as the last person who had the demon, well, that goes against Scripture. It calls God a liar because he says he's set free. You're, you're free indeed. Well, if that's the case, then I'm not free indeed, and God's a liar. And so that doctrine, although well-meaning, they're trying to help people with their sin that they have, they've, they've decided to do. But we have three adversaries, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We can't always blame the devil for the stuff we do. You know, the devil made me do it. You know, what was I supposed to do? And once I called out the devil, I, I'm no longer doing these things. No, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. You have a choice in the matter. We have a choice, a decision to make, to follow God or to not follow God. So the portion of Ezekiel 18 I'll read to you is verses 19 and 20 only, but the whole chapter really nails it down. And this is God speaking. This is just him. It's not Ezekiel's interpretation or ours. Yet you say, nation of Israel, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and observed them. He shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. God makes a distinction there. These are choices that you have to make. My flesh is very capable of sinning. I don't need the devil's help at all. My flesh loves to sin. And so I have that enemy. And when I'm filled with the Spirit of Christ, like Paul writes, he says that the the, the spirit and the, and the flesh are warring constantly. There's a constant battle within me. And the spirit wants to do what it wants to do, what he wants to do, and I want to do what I want to do. And it's up to me to make the decision as to which one of these two voices I'm going to follow. I'm going to be led of the spirit or I'm going to be led of my flesh. And if I walk in the spirit, I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, is the idea. You can't do both at the same time. So, I'm not going to kill the kids of these men that killed my father because they're not responsible. Now, these kids will have a choice to make now, though, won't they? Were, were my parents wrong in overthrowing this king, and I'm just going to live an obedient life to God under this new king and accept this grace and mercy that he's given me because, you know, the day or the, 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 the culture of the day would say that they, he would kill me? Or am I going to take vengeance be, just because he killed my dad? shouldn't have killed my dad. Was your dad a criminal? He was, but I'm going to still kill the guy that killed my Well, then you're making a decision here. You're making a decision to do something against God and to, and to follow the same habits of your father. That's your choice. That's your choice. Now, Verse 5, moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and set over them captains of thousands, captains of hundreds, according to their father's houses, throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above, and found them to be 300,000 choice men, able to go to war, who could handle the spear and the shield. He also hired 100,000 uh, 100, mighty men from Israel, that's the northern tribes there, for 100 talents of silver, which is cheap, really. I mean, you divide that up, 100 talents of silver divided by 100,000, not very much money. But, 
as he's done this, he's got something in his mind. I'm going to go to war. You don't hire 100,000 extra soldiers unless you're going to go do something. And before he even steps off into this venture to go to war against the Edomites, he says, or God's faithful anyway, to, to send this man of God and say, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, um, not with any of the children of Ephraim. But if you go, be gone, be strong in battle. Even so, God will make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help and to overthrow. Before you go into this battle of the Edomites, or you know, to get these people of Seir, um, I want you to know, first of all, they, he didn't pray about it. God hasn't directed him to do this. In fact, several times in Scripture, we tell he, God comes right out and says, I want you to leave the Edomites alone. I've given them their land, you know. The Edomites are currently in rebellion against the nation of Israel. They used to be under their authority. They'd send tribute. And now since these kings have changed hands uh, several times, they're, nah, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to be our own country. Well, that grates on these guys that are in leadership. And so they get this idea that we're going to go get these Edomites and make them start serving us again. All right. Well, if you're going to go, go and be strong in battle, but don't take the northern tribes with you. I'm not with them. And if you take them with you, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. I can be strong for you. You don't need that extra 100,000 men. I can do this without them. Now, it doesn't mean that God wants him to go do this. God hasn't directed him. God didn't give him that call to do this. He's just doing it. And he's saying, but there's a guess, a little room of permission, a little, a little permission here from God. If you go, okay, there's going to be consequences for this choice that you're making but I'll let you have victory because I love you and I'm protecting you because you guys are following me and doing what was right in my eyes for now. But don't take Israel with you if you go. So Amaziah, the king, he's a little worried about that hundred you know, talents of silver that he gave him. He says to the man of God, this prophet that's come and warned him, but what shall we do about the hundred talents which I gave to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. So Amaziah discharged the troops that had come from Ephraim, that come to him from Ephraim, to go back home. Therefore, their anger, these troops, was greatly aroused against Judah, and they returned home in great anger. Now, these guys, you'd think, would be happy. We got a payday, and we didn't have to go fight. Whatever, going home. Like I said, 100 talents of silver is cheap. See, back in the day, when you go to war, whatever you conquered, you got to keep. So there's a percentage. You got a flat fee of 100 talents for 100 soldiers. Yeah, we'll show up. We'll show up. As long as there's a percentage on the backside of this, and I get to take some spoil home, you know. And now they're saying, no, you can keep your fee, but we don't need you anymore. It's like, I didn't come for the fee. I came for the percentage, you know. So they're upset about this. Um, okay, before we go any further, when we take this to our own heart, you know, 2021, we don't have this problem, generally speaking, but we can oftentimes in our business dealings or in our just personal life make deals with people that we shouldn't make deals with. You know, we've, that's been coming up a lot lately about the believer being, un, or being yoked together with the unbeliever. You know, be careful about those things in business or in any, in any way, be careful. And so if you get this check in your spirit, like, man, I don't think I should have done that. I don't think I should have done that, but I... I've already 
I've already kind of paid into this and I kind of got to follow it through. What should I do? But if you get that check, pray. Okay, God, what do you want me to do in this? Do you, how do I get out of this? How do I get my money back? Well, you don't. You don't. Let that money go. It's far better that you lose that money that you didn't pray about with me, that you didn't ask me about, that you went and just did on your own. It's better to lose that than to follow through on that deal and to find yourself later on wishing you'd never, ever done it. 100 talents of silver is nothing compared to the heartache you're going to have if you continue to follow through on this. And so a little application for us. If God gives you a check by his Holy Spirit to do something other than what, you know, and you're not breaking your word, you got to be careful about that. Um, he's not. He just let them keep the money and then sent them home. Now, they got mad, but that's their problem. Nothing you can do about it. I didn't promise you the percentage. We didn't go. You're not coming with us. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Now, verse 11, then Amaziah strengthened himself. And leading his people, he went to the Valley of Salt and killed 10,000 of the people of Seir. Also the children of Judah took captive 10,000 alive, brought them to the top of the rock and cast them down from the top of the rock so that they were all dashed to pieces. Gross. But as for the soldiers of the army, which Amaziah had discharged, the guys he sent home, so that they would not go with him to battle, they raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Horon, killed 3,000 in them and took much spoil. Eee. Those are consequences. It would have been a lot worse if they'd have gone with them, but still, God doesn't protect them from a little bit of harm here, from a little bit of, hey, next time pray, you know? Next time ask. Next time think about these things before you go. Talk to me about it. Include me in this decision-making process. And so these guys that they thought they'd, you know, let them go while well, they came back while they were in battle and left their own country uh, without defenses. Well, they came back and they got their percentage, took it from Judah, you know, not good. Now, it was so after Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites that he brought the gods of the people of Seir, set them up to be his gods and bowed down before them and burn incense to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Amaziah, and he sent him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people which could not rescue their own people from your hand? I love those just flat-out great statements from God. He's like, okay, wait, your God, the God, wiped out their little gods, and now you're worshiping their little gods. Okay, talk to me like I'm a five-year-old. Why are you doing this? You know, explain this to me. It doesn't make any sense at all. There must have been a fascination. You know, maybe those gods are really neat looking. I don't know. Really, the craftsmanship was amazing. I don't know. It just looked better than our plain old God, which we don't even get an image of him. We just get to make his chair and his candelabra on the left-hand side and the showbread and the incense. We never get to see him. These guys actually have their gods. And, and I don't, I don't want to make more of it than it is, but somehow or another, he, in his mind, this was a good idea. Let's do this. Maybe he's upset that the 3,000 people died. Maybe he's upset that those people raided his cities when he came back. I don't know what the thought process was. I do know this. God is faithful to send a prophet to this man and say, why are you doing this? Stop. God is so faithful as our father, as the one who loves us in this world, to keep us from making mistakes, and he'll send us warnings. 
He'll give us red flags. He'll give us ways of escape. He gives us opportunities to change course over and over and over again. He'll do this for us. So it was when he talked with him that the king said to him, this prophet who's come and told him to stop worshiping these little gods, who made you the king's counselor? Cease. Why should you be killed? And the prophet ceased and said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not heeded my voice or heeded my advice. A couple of things there. First of all, we have God's word, and that is true and faithful all the time. And when I present God's word to somebody, I attach my advice to that, which is I'd obey God's word if I were you. Now, that's for me. That's for me. What he said about worshiping these other gods is not advice. That's from God. The prophet's advice was, I wouldn't continue to worship these other gods if I were you. That's his advice. And when he tells this counselor, you're not my counselor. I never hired you. And if you don't shut up, I'm going to kill you. You know. And the prophet's like, fine. I'm leaving. And you're going to die because you didn't listen to my advice. And that's a fair statement. It didn't come from him, but the advice to follow the words that God had given him to share, that's a true statement, and that is my advice. And that's always my advice from up here or anytime I'm talking to somebody about Jesus. It is my advice that you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. But you're not my, I don't want to, all right. Well, I know that you're going to be destroyed because you didn't take my advice. I'm not claiming to be God. I'm claiming to know the truth and that the truth is the truth and you can't make it not the truth just because you disagree with it, you know? And so there's some freedom here for us as Christians. Yeah, I want to plead with people. I want to reason with reasonable people. We talked a little bit about this on Wednesday night. But I also know that I can walk away too. If they don't want to hear it, I'm not here to kick or drag people kicking and screaming to heaven. You're going to go to heaven whether you like it or not. Come on, I hate heaven, heaven's horrible. Then don't go. Don't take my advice. But I know this, if you don't take my advice, you're going to go to hell. And that's not me judging you. That's just the fact of God's word. If you do not have the son, you do not have the father. If you don't, if, if, there's no way. He said so. So don't take my advice. So a couple verses here. Matthew chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, Jesus explained to his disciples as he sends them out to tell them that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If a household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. You can shake the dust off your feet. That's okay. You may have a heart for them. You have a love for them. But if they won't hear you, you're not required to beat your head against a brick wall. You can move on. Matthew 7, verse 6. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. We just went over that Wednesday. It's, you're not required to do that. These things are valuable to me. I, I think I've shared that a couple of times. My opinion may not be valuable to anybody else, but if you ask me my opinion and I give it to you, it's valuable to me. 
I'll only do it so many times before and have them reject it before I say, you know what, I don't don't talk to me anymore about it. I, you want my opinion, but then you tell me I'm wrong, so I'm not going to share my opinion with you anymore. Keep it. I'm going to keep it to myself. You know, I'm not going to. I'm not saying my words are pearls, but if they're not pearls to you, then why are you asking me? You know, have it, have it your way. It sounds like you got it all figured out. You know, you don't need my advice. So this prophet is bold enough to say, well, yeah, I don't want to be killed. <laughs> I'm not here to die for this. I'm trying to help you out. You don't want it? Bye. And let him go. Now, Amaziah, king of Judah, asked advice. How ironic. A prophet from God tells him what he needs to do. He rejects that, but then he goes and finds advice. And that is classic human behavior. God will tell us exactly what he wants us to do, and it's not what we want, or we disagree with God's opinion on the matter, so we will find an opinion that meets our opinion standards. This is what I want. Someone will tell you what you want to hear. Someone will agree with you. You just have to keep asking until you find that right person. But someone will always want to be in your good graces, always want you to look upon them better than you know, oh, yeah, you're, I knew you were wise. I knew you were wise when you agreed with me. I knew that. I could tell that right on your face. You're a smart guy, you know, because you agree with me. So he goes to find advice, and after he gets this advice, and sent to Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, come, let us face one another in battle. So I don't know who he asked, but he says, you think we should fight Israel? Somebody said, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do it. So he picks a fight with Israel. Now Israel's much bigger than they are. And so the king of Israel says this. He sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, he gives him a little, a little parable. <laughs> the thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, give your daughter to my son as wife. And a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. Indeed, you say that you have defeated the Edomites, and your heart is lifted up to boast. Stay at home now. Why should you meddle with trouble that you should fall? You and Judah with you. Okay, you had a victory. Glad. Happy for you. You guys have been boasting about that for a long time. Yeah, you got the Edomites. I'd, I'd quit while you were ahead, is what he's saying. Don't come up here. You're going to get spanked, basically. Amaziah would not heed. For it came from God that he might give them into the hand of their enemies because they sought the gods of Edom. So Joash, king of Israel, went out, and he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his tent. Then Joash, the king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, at the son of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, at Beth Shemesh, and he brought him to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits, about 600 feet. And he took all the gold and silver, all the articles that were found in the house of God with Obed-Edom, the treasures of the king's house, and hostages, and returned to Samaria. That is getting whooped. And then some. Of course, the part we focus on here is the very first verse. And Amaziah would not heed, for it came from God. This defeat comes from God. And here's why it came from God, because he sought the gods of Edom. 
I'm going to let those gods of Edom defend you like they defeated Edom. Here you go. This is what it looks like. This is what those little cool little gold things that you worship look like when they're defending you. They're not. He lets it happen. Now, from God confuses some people. I don't know how, but it does. They believe that there was nothing that Amaziah could have done to prevent this from happening. It's just providence. No, not at all. We've been reading this chapter, and hopefully we've understood it, that God has sent several messengers to him, prophets saying, you you need to make a different decision here. Your decision-making process is flawed. You need to make a different decision, which means they can make a different decision. But they choose to follow their own hearts, and God says, then fine, I'm going to let your decision have its results. And he lets this thing take place. I think we get that, hopefully. But there are those who want to alleviate themselves of the responsibility of making decisions and say, I don't know, there's nothing to do about it. God's in charge. God's, you know, God's sovereign. Yes, he is sovereign. Make no mistake about that. But he didn't cause this harm. These are decisions you make. He's not causing you to sin and then punishing you for it. That's your choice. That's your call. And he will send way and voice and person after person to keep you from making those foolish decisions. Scripture after scripture, when you're reading it, will cry out and say, stop, change course, don't do this anymore. And if you continue to ignore these stop signs, road signs that are telling you detour, go away, U-turn, and you go on through, you're going off the bridge that's out, you know? This is on him. Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. Now, the rest of the acts of Amaziah, from the first to the last, indeed, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? After the time that Amaziah turned away from following the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish, but they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. Then they brought him on horses and buried him with his fathers in the city of Judah. So they were tired of being led away from the Lord. Well, and I don't know if it was even that, you know. The nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, I mean, they're all kind of one and the same. They just didn't like losing. And they weren't all excited about it when we were returning to the Lord. If there was a king that was saying, look, we're going to start legislating morality. We're going to start doing what God wants us to do. They weren't necessarily all on board with that. They just kind of did it. And there were successes and there's a fruit from being obedient to God in the nation of Israel. Hey, look at this. We're really prospering. This is great. Well, they liked that. They weren't excited about the fact that they couldn't go up to the high places, worship all these other gods, but whatever, at least we're doing well. What they didn't like was losing. They didn't kill this king because he wasn't walking with God and they were so holy that they wished he would. They just didn't like the fact that they just got stomped on by the nation of Israel. Okay. I just don't want to give them this. And and so they handled it and they took care of these things. No, they just didn't like losing, you know. The heart of man um, can only be changed by God. 
I can stop people from sinning by force, you know, and we do that all the time. That's what laws are for, to keep people from doing things they shouldn't do. That's what they are. And although it's in their heart to do those things, they weigh the consequences and I'd rather not go to jail, so I'm not going to do this thing. And so they don't do what's in their heart. But we by no means change the society. Because once the laws are lifted, every man will do what's right in their own eyes. If there's no penalty or punishment or any repercussions for it, we've seen that. We saw that this summer. We saw that happen, you know. And, and that's what's in the human heart. Now, Christ can come and change that heart, and that's the only way. You can change people from being that wickedness or having that wickedness in their heart is when God gives them a new heart. When they're a born-again believer, when they've changed, you know, when God's changed them. God works from the inside out. Man works from the outside in. We just do our best to corral sin the best we can. We're light and salt. Keep it at bay at best. But when that which restrains is removed, we're warned, the darkness is going to flood in. It's just going to overflow because when that which restrains is removed, all hell's going to break loose because that's what's there. You know, laws aren't going to prevent anything at that point. It's Christ that changes the heart. And so when I have a problem with sin... I can set up all the barriers, fences, landmines, whatever I need to do in my life to keep me from sinning. But that's not God's hope for me. He wants me to not go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because I want to obey God. Not because I'm afraid of some kind of bomb that might go off if I touch it. No threat. But because I love him. I don't want my wife to, to love me and care for me and, and, and buy me a card for my birthday or whatever, because if, if she doesn't, oh man, you know, here, you know, kind of thing. That's not our God. He wants us to do things because we love him, you know, and only God can change that heart. And that's, that's what has to happen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And thank you for this chapter. We pray that you keep it in our hearts. We pray that it would bear much fruit in our lives that um, we'd chew on it, understand it, and sure be listening for your stops, you know, for your red flags that you put up in our lives, for those moments when maybe we didn't pray about something, but you're here to protect us from going any further down this road, that we'd listen and we'd obey and trust you're looking out for our best interests. And it's far better for us to turn around and lose a little than to continue down this road and lose a lot. So we thank you for the warning we received and the, the things written down in this, in this chapter, which are written for our admonition. And I pray that we'd be admonished, warned, and know that it comes from you, someone who loves us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, I'll be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.